the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. Hi, this is Denny O'Neill. My name is Neil Adams. And this is Paul Dini. Hi, my name is Dan DeDio. This is Kevin Conroy. Hey, this is Francis Maniple. Hi, this is Jim Lee, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 239. Your host, today I have with me. This is Ed. And this is Paprika. Spices. And we are bringing you the latest comic news and comic book reviews from the weeks of August 13th through September 2nd. We have a total of three books to cover, a little bit of news. Um, so let's just jump straight into the news. So over the past couple of weeks, there's just been a couple of different things. Um, the, the first thing is on August 15th, it was announced that uh, there's a new miniseries coming out called Batman Creature of the Night. Uh, this is actually a project that we reported back on way back in October of 2011 um, because Jean-Paul Leon actually had done an interview talking about the work on the book. So uh, that project is actually coming to fruition. It's going to be a four-issue miniseries written by Kurt Busiek and art by, like I said, Jean-Paul Leon. Uh, the basic premise of the story is uh, a character named Bruce Wainwright lost his parents in a violent crime. In the real world, no superheroes exist to save the day, but his grief and rage build inside Bruce until he feels he can't help it anymore. Something strange takes wait, starts taking wing in Gotham Knight. Perhaps Bruce's grief isn't as isn't inside of him after all. Modern masters Kurt Busiak and Jean-Paul Leon unite for the spiritual companion to be loved Superman's secret identity, putting a new spin never seen before on the legend of Batman and the dark emotions that drive him. So, uh, yeah, that's that's coming the beginning in November. All right, so the next up sales numbers have released for the month of July, and uh, there, not a whole lot of surprises. Dark Days, the casting was actually number one for the month. Uh, Batman... 26 and 27 were both uh, number three, number four for the month. Um, rounding out the top 25, we had All-Star Batman at number 11, Detective Comics number 960 at number 15, Detective Comics number 961 at 16, Justice League and just uh, both issues of Justice League at 21 and 22. And uh, then it, it goes down from there. But uh, the, the interesting thing is almost all of the books for the month, except for Bane Conquest, Batwoman, Batman Shadow, and Justice League of America all actually had higher, they shifted higher than the previous month, which was was good. Um, as far as sales numbers actually go, the variations were all down except for one notable exception, which was uh, uh, which was Red Hood and the Outlaws, number 11, which actually saw an increase of about 4.2%. Uh, so basically, the important thing to note is if you are interested in sales numbers, and I know there is a lot of you out there, be sure to check out the sales numbers over on the website, the one book that probably has the well, that the one book that had the biggest drop was Bane Conquest, that dropped about nineteen percent. Uh, but that's a mini series; it's not going anywhere, so it doesn't really make a big difference. We know it's getting twelve issues no matter what. So, um, but Batwoman is one other book that uh, just had a big drop; it dropped about seven percent from the previous month, along with Batman Shadow, which again, that's another book that's yeah. suspected to have. Uh, you know, something something like that happened to it. So check out the sales numbers over on the website. Jessica put those together for us. So if you are uh, liking the sales numbers, be sure to comment on the post, letting Jessica know your thoughts on that article. 
It's still interesting to me that, that, that Batman still almost doubles up detective. It is interesting. Yeah. It's also, but the one thing that's really cool, not, I, I wouldn't say cool necessarily, but the one thing that's interesting to note is that it really does feel like the books have kind of like evened out to at least some sort of degree, like detective comics, both issues are selling just about the same exact number of copies. It's not like one selling more than the other. Or there's a big drop between issues. It's right. it's pretty much very close within like, you know, 600 copies. I mean, that's a pretty, pretty consistent number. And the same thing probably goes for Batman too, even though it was a drop of about 5,000 issues, but even so it's over a hundred K. So I don't really think it's that much of a big deal, but a lot of these books, like a lot of the ones that are double shipping, they set these, these seem to be averaged out to be right around the same. So it seems like they've at least got their baseline of who's reading the books on a monthly basis. Yeah. Consistent audience. Good point. All right. So the next up on August 18th, uh, the Batmobile for uh, Batman white Knight, which is the mini series that's kicking off in October by Sean Gordon Murphy. The Batmobile was revealed. There's a lot of really cool designs uh, that uh, Sean Gordon Murphy actually did for uh, the creation of this Batmobile. But I have to say it's, it's kind of interesting. It's kind of a, it reminds me a lot of the bat pod from the dark Knight trilogy. You take the animated series uh, Batmobile, you know, same thing is similar as the 1989 Batmobile and you give it some ears and you basically got what he created for his book. Uh, but he also, he, there was this big article that was on Nerdist talking about how he goes about creating stuff like this because his focus in his career has always been very highly detailed vehicles. Um, so he actually built models of this Batmobile as a reference point for his, uh, for this book. So, I mean, like crazy detailed and uh, some of the art was also revealed for it, including a shot of the Batcave, very small panel, but I had not a splash page, but a small panel that actually showcases like, I'd say like a good 15 different Batmobiles in the background. If you aren't excited about this, I suggest you check out the art because I don't tend to get super excited about art most of the time, but this art, looks amazing it does and i do see a lot of batman 89 in it all right so then also on august 18th it was also revealed uh the crossover that the other crossover that's going to be spawning out of uh dark knight's metal uh as we already know there's the one that's coming at the end of september early october which is gotham resistance which is taking place in nightwing teen titans and suicide squad as well as green arrow um, but there's also going to be another crossover that's going to happen. This one is actually going to take place in November. Um, and this this crossover is going to involve the Flash, Justice League, Hell Jordan, and the Green Lantern Corps. So this is going to take place at the end of October, early November. Um, but basically, it's called Bats Out of Hell is this crossover. And it deals with the Justice League dealing with these evil versions of Batman that are going to be you know, coming out of, or I guess spawning out of Dark Knight's Metal. Um, And then there was also an announcement that Hawkman found, which pretty much everybody already knew about, but the official announcement announcing the book is, that book is coming in December. So um, you can definitely take a look at some art that they released for the, basically the covers of this Bats Out of Hell crossover. They link all up and they make a huge image. So you can check that out over on the website. All right, so then moving into August 21st, uh, solicitations were revealed for the month of November. Um, some 
highlights from solicitations include the solicitations for Dark Knight's Metal Number no. 4 does not shy away from the idea that a certain character from the Vertigo universe, um, Sandman, which we'll talk about Dark Knight's Metal a little later, but Sandman, does, they don't hide the fact that he appeared in the first issue. Um, we also got an early solicitation, as we said, for Hawkman Found, the one shot that'll come in December. Um, over in Batman, uh, we'll be seeing... A, a number of annuals, but specifically Batman will be getting an annual. Some of the other books that will be actually getting an annual Justice League of America. Those are the, and then Super Sons uh, will also be getting an annual. Those are the two that we will be dealing with, obviously, here on the site. But uh, there's there's tons of books coming out. It's also the launch of the first issue of Batman and the Signal number one is coming out. But there's there's lots of interesting, unique things that are happening in the month. Uh, we also have a cover gallery to show you some of the highlights of some of the covers that are coming out uh, come November. So be sure to check that out over on the website. Uh, the one other thing real quick to note is that we didn't know this the last time around, but Batman Creature of the Night, that is actually going to be priced at five ninety nine dollars uh, per issue, which... Makes it the most expensive TBU title of the month by far, even even considering the annuals that are going to be more expensive as well at four ninety nine. Super expensive, but yes, uh, five ninety nine is a lot of money. But uh, the solicitation for the issue does say it's going to be forty eight pages, which rivals the same amount of pages that the Batman annual that month is going to be getting, and that is actually a whole dollar cheaper. So just be aware if you're interested in picking up that book. Um, the one thing I do remember reading somewhere is that, if you remember, we talked about a couple months a couple months back when Scott Snyder talked about how All-Star would come back in some sort of new format, and people were talking about the prestige format possibly making a return. There's There's... There's a talk that Creature of the Night is going to be on that thicker, thicker pages with the thicker uh, cover and things like that. And that is probably that might be why it's back up at, you know, at that high price point. So that's still steep. The 599 is a lot for a book. Yeah, it definitely is. All right. So then finally, DCL Access posted up a video uh, talking with James Tyne. Tying about uh, spoiler and her dealing with uh, anarchy in the current story arc, which we'll talk about the first issue here on the podcast. And then the next issue will actually release in the coming week um, as you're listening to this. But uh, outside of that, there are three new articles for last week in the Batcave. So uh, be sure to check all of those out over on the site. All right, so that is all of the news. Uh, as usual, be sure to check out uh, Last Week in the Batcave every Monday morning as that posts. And then uh, in the coming weeks, there's not going to be any solicitations and there's not going to be any sales numbers in the next two weeks as you're listening to this. But there's always Last Week in the Batcave every Monday morning. So even if there's no new news, there's always that. So be sure to check that out because there's always unique and interesting things that Jessica's reporting on with Last Week in the Batcave. Also, there is a new section of Last Week in the Batcave, which we're calling Gothamites, which is a focus on some art or videos or cosplay that's created by other Bat fans out there. Uh, so if you have seen something very unique out there that you think deserves a focus, be sure to email us at tbu at thebatmanuniverse.net so that we can potentially feature that art in the Last Week in the Batcave article series that releases every Monday morning. So with that, we're going to jump straight into our comic book reviews, and the first one we have is All-Star Batman. All-Star Batman, number 13, Snyder and Albuquerque, uh, the first ally. 
the bomb from the last issue goes off in the Wayne Hotel in Miami, and we see Alfred and Batman plunging to their deaths, and after some acrobatic insanity, they both somehow manage to survive. Uh, we then cut to Alfred in the past with Briar uh, talking him through the last part of a mission in his ear with an earpiece, you know, a lot like we have with, with Bruce. Um, he's infected himself with a virus, and he meets up with Briar. Uh, Briar administers the antidote before, you know, after taking a sample from his blood. Uh, back to the rubble, and we see Batman borrow a motorcycle from two young men that pull up to see what is going on. Uh, back to the Alfred storyline in the past, we see Alfred awakened to find Briar looking at the helmet of the night. Uh, vigilante secret agent character um, and talking about the 15 men that he squired before him uh, that are now all dead. He reveals that one of the men who died underneath his tutelage was in fact his son. Um, Alfred tries to comfort him, uh, but Briar pushes him away and stalks off. Uh, Batman has tracked the helicopter down uh, that took off after they, you know, shot him at the uh, hotel and we find Hush Penguin and friends uh, inside the helicopter, but they're, they're in pretty bad shape. They've been cut up. Uh, and Batman realizes too late that it's the knight that did it. Uh, Briar steps forward. The knight attacks Batman and catches him defenseless, knocks him out. Um, Briar tells Alfred that he will exchange him for the Genesis engine. Alfred agrees to do so. Uh, we did see in the past that at this point that Alfred learns that Briar believes that any type of connection to the world makes you weak. So his plan was to kill Alfred's father to make him stand on his own. We didn't see Alfred bust into the, bust into the uh, pirate hideout on what seemingly seems to be a recruiting mission to go save Bruce. Uh, and there is a backup with more um, more Russian gangster things going on. I don't know what else to say. There's Russian gangster stuff going on in the background. Uh, so here's the question that I kind of thought of going through this. I wonder what you guys thought about it. The knight, do we, we, we haven't seen the knight's face, and it's now becoming a little more purpose. Do you guys believe the knight, the identity of the guy in the knight costume is somehow important is he someone we know or some other important figure in the narrative i don't know i I feel like at some point alfred was supposed to be the person who was supposed to take over for briar that didn't happen if it's somebody that we know i don't i can't think of who it would be i just feel like it's some sort of like twist where it has to be something like that I, i i mean there is obviously things that could make you think that it's not that it's not going that way but i don't know I don't really understand the direction. Like what's the point of pushing this story with Briar and mm-hmm. Alfred at the same time, if Briar's not somehow involved in a much more unique way than what we're seeing here. So I feel like something else is happening. Um, I just, I haven't been able to figure it out exactly what's going on. I feel like it's not going to be someone that we're aware of, but it's someone that perhaps Alfred is aware of because this really yeah. is his story. I almost want it to be Briar's son, but I guess there's just no way because he was shot in the desert. And as far as we know, he was dead unless he sort of pulled or Briar sort of pulled an X2 film adaptation of uh, God Loves Man Kills where he was hiding. (laughs) You know, his son was actually still alive, but he was hiding him. So maybe he was able to hide his son somehow and he's more machine than man. I don't know. But yeah, I think it's just going to have an impact mostly on Alfred. I don't know if it's necessarily going to carry weight with fans because I, this is Alfred's story, as I said. So I don't know if it's necessarily going to have a personal connection with Batman. Yeah. I don't know how they would do it. Um, it just seems strange to me that we've never seen the current iteration of the night without his helmet on this issue dealt a lot with, you know, Briar's reluctance over the death of the other knights and how they all want to cry for their, for their parents at the end and blah, 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 blah. So 
I was wondering if maybe there was some change there. The fact that he, even with getting the drop on Batman, bested him in combat, made me think that maybe there's something going on there, but I, I have no idea who it would be, to be honest with you. And another thing was, we're getting close to the end of the story, and who will the hero of the story be to you guys? Do you think it will be Batman, Alfred, Briar? Who do you think that the hero of the story is going to be? I don't feel like it'll be Briar. Um, I, I feel like the thing that makes the most sense, especially with the last page with Alfred's, you know, sitting there with the shotgun waiting to take down everybody, I think that Alfred's going to be the hero of the story. I mean, it, it does make sense since it's supposed to be his story. But at the same time, no, I'm, I'm just going to stick with Alfred. I mean, like, I don't it, it, I don't think the, cert, the story would have would the justice would not be served in this story if Alfred's not the one who actually comes out on top or because if, if Batman somehow has to help Alfred to come out on top, it just takes away from the focus on Alfred. I almost want to play the card of no one's going to necessarily come out on top, especially since at the very beginning you get this really dark or foreboding look into the future where Alfred almost pulls a knight. Which one was it? Knight's Quest, where he abandons Bruce Wayne. <laughs> so over in Europe, was it, it was the middle one. Is that Knight's Quest? Mm, Knight's End? No, it's Knight's Quest, yeah. Okay. Knight's Fall, yeah, Knight's so, Fall, Knight's Quest, Knight's End, yep. Okay, so something obviously happens to break them up because he's, you know, sitting in... This is the right one I'm thinking about, isn't it? I was <laughs> worried I was confusing uh, the issues. Yeah, so he's sitting here. It's obviously in the future and, and thinking, well, you know, I thought if I left him, he would give it all up. So I, I just feel like, you know, there are we're digging up the past of Alfred, obviously, he may have done things that he's not necessarily proud of. We now know that his father, in a very Andrea Beaumont sense of the of origin, you know, his father might be killed so that Alfred can be the perfect soldier. We don't know how he gets out from under Briar and everything. And then what's he going to do to potentially, he might be driven to the edge to save Batman if Briar and the Knight are going to just cut him down at that point. So I don't know if Alfred's going to come out on top and then... And Batman, I, I guess you could go with Batman, but I just think everyone, I, I don't see this as a win situation. I feel like it's a lose, lose, lose situation. So that's what I'm going to say. Yeah, I think still is probably closer to the truth. I, I do think this is going to be an Alfred centric storyline coming down the end. I don't know if he's going to be the hero, even though I'm the one that asked the question, but I think he's going to be the focal character coming down to it. I, I think that we could be seeing a, a kind of a retconning of Jarvis Pennyworth here and maybe his death is going to be at the hands of Briar in some way. Maybe Alf will learn that through the end of the book here. But I would have to say that hopefully this will be a strong closing uh, Alfred story. That's it. All right. So I'm going to give All-Star Batman a total of three out of five batterings. Um, I really enjoyed it. So I'm going to go three and a half out of five. Three and a half out of five. And over on the website, Corbin gave it two and a half. So that's going to give All-Star mm -hmm. Batman a total of three out of five batterings. That, let's move into our next book, Batman. Batman 29, The War of Jokes and Riddles, Part 4, Tom King Script, Mikhail Janine Pencils and Cover, Hugo Petrus and Mikhail Janine Inks, and June Chung Colors. It's basically a glorified dinner party with Bruce Wayne, <laughs> Alfred serving on the side with all of his little minions and Joker on the other side with all their all of his minions. The issue is broken down by course as if it were a, a French dining experience. 
Batman wants to get the sides of both of these and, and understand better what is going on with this war. So he asks, of course, why Batman? And then because Bruce Wayne is in particular wanting to save Gotham, he does try to convince the two sides that Batman is winning because the two are going up against each other and killing each other. And so Batman's going to win. But he asks what would you do if you had Batman or what would you do if you killed him? And whoever answers the best, he is going to apparently support. And so at the very end of the issue, we see Batman, Bruce Wayne as Batman and Alfred and Batman has made his decision about which side he's going to support. And well, I guess his mom just wouldn't be very proud of him. And I felt like I was missing a page in my particular book because it never said next time. Uh, It just felt like something was dangling, but uh, I double checked that I had the proper, you know, what's up. So anyways, that's how my issue ended. Well, there you go. I actually want to go old school and ask because I feel like my questions, this is a slow moving arc in my opinion. So my questions keep to, they're generally variation on a theme and they, They've become inane to me. So I want to go back to Vintage TBU and ask you, point blank, what did you think about this issue as a whole? Well, if I look at it from outside of the current story arc, it was kind of an interesting story that I otherwise would not expect from any situation. I can't picture any situation where Bat- or where Bruce Wayne would be hosting a dinner for Joker and Riddler at his own house. It, it you know, it kind of doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but I think it was so unexpected that I think it kind of worked. Um, I thought that the characterization of Riddler and Joker was done very well, but the problem is that it's part of a bigger story arc and that story arc seems to be moving at a snail's pace. It's it seems cute on the outside. Bruce Wayne ha- has a has a dinner party with the Joker and the Riddler. Okay, I don't know. It it it, it didn't feel like it really moved the narrative forward much. The, the, the end, the, the whole thing at the end when when Bruce is like, "Well, don't forget to release your hostages." Joker's like, "Yeah, mine are already dead." Like, it's not a great plan. Like, so you got a couple hostages killed somehow along the way, but not taking enough care of it. Um, the whole idea of who Bruce is going to support as Batman. I don't know. It just. It's not a bad issue. It just doesn't really seem to do anything. And since we've had an, uh, the interludes with this story recently, this story just seems like it's starting to um, to really drag a little bit. Um, like I said, it wasn't poorly constructed, just not very important. I, you know, it's, I, I agree with you, Ed, that, you know, on the surface is a very interesting and slash weird story because here you have Joker and, you know, Riddler and all these people staying around who don't get any food, apparently. And Bruce Wayne is there and Alfred is serving them. It, it is very bizarre. It's almost absurd, basically, to, to see what's going on here. That I think Riddler and Joker were written really well. It almost reminded me of my favorite Batman the Animated Series almost got them where you have all the villains that are sitting around the poker table I think and they they share their own stories about how they almost caught Batman and it just reminded me when they're going into why they're so fixated on Batman or what they'll do if they ever get their hands on them it, it certainly I, I think both of them spoke true to their characters and it reminded me of that particular thing but for Bruce I think it's very out of character because I just don't know if he would entertain this sort of thing. Uh, would this be the way that he would go about it? And I completely understand that he loves Gotham. And I think 
we see that in the writing there that he wants Gotham to be safe. So he wants this war to end somehow. But it's just so weird that, you know, Batman can't do anything. So he's reverting back to his Bruce Wayne personality. But then at the very end, he is Batman. So you almost wish one to stay him to stay as one or the other. If he's going to fix it as Bruce, then fix it as Bruce instead of reverting back to Batman. And I guess symbolically at the very end, he's neither one nor the other because his mask was off. But that's, you know, one of those things. But, you know, I guess this is potentially one of those dark moments that he's talking to Selena about because he's going to choose one of the sides and he's not proud of it. He knows his mother's not going to be proud of it. So I guess we're getting into more of this um, orphan mother situation where, you know, we wondered, oh, did he do something bad? Is this what the, the bad thing was? But I agree. It was it's narrative and written heavy. You could have basically put this as a little short story, I think, and it would have been almost the same. And it's just one of those intermittent issues that it pushes the plot somewhat, but it's not enough to sort of be a worthwhile addition to the to the story. Those were that was actually my my only question. I just wondered what you thought about this particular dinner party and this story as a whole. So Batman, I'm going to give a total of three out of five. Yeah, probably three out of five. Like I said, it's not awful. It's just not meaningful. Yeah, three out of five as well. And over on the website, Matthew gave it three out of five. So it's going to give Batman a total of three out of five bad rings. So we're into our last book, Detective Comics. Detective Comics number 963, written by James Tiny IV and Christopher Sabella, art by Carmen Carnero. Uh, the issue starts off with a uh, s- uh, flashback several months ago before Tim Drake died. Steph sat on a Gotham rooftop with him, eating burgers and talking about the future. Steph wonders cheerfully, but with a hint of worry, where she fits into Tim's grand plans of saving the world. Tim kisses her and promises, promises her that together they are unstoppable. Back in the present, Steph sneaks into the Argus Quarantine Monster Town, the part of Gotham still devastated by Hugo Strange's attack during the Night of Monster Men. She sacrifices one of her drones to incapacitate the Argus guards and sneak past them, meeting with anarchy in an abandoned house. The two discuss their plans, with Steph struggling with Lonnie's lack of trust in not removing his mask or letting her in on his larger scheme, when suddenly Argus busts in on them. Nearby, Clayface collects some monster zombie creatures in the sewers and brings them to Dr. October and Batman. He begs Batman and the doctor to give him the bracelet as he feels the moral center of his brain degrading as he stays too long in the Clayface form. They encourage him to continue to fight the darkness to be a better man, but he remains doubtful. Uh, Back with Steph, she holds her own against the Argus troops, but Anarchy surprised her by taking the bulk out of them with the prearranged traps that are set in the abandoned house. He takes her to one of the secret tunnels that Tim took the team through back in Rise of the Batman, showing Steph that he's creating a secret community with the immunity with immunity to the monster town sickness instead of hiding from it like Argus wants. However, Batman follows them into the tunnels and he is not noticed by them. All right. So this is the first of two part uh, dealing with anarchy and spoiler uh, specifically more spoiler with anarchy, kind of the supporting character in this story. But the thing I want to talk about, I've got two questions. The first one is what do you think of the return of Lonnie Mackin's uh, anarchy? Since the last time we saw anarchy, it was actually in the pages of detective comics, but during 
the New 52 with Francis Manipool and Brian Buccioletto, and they created a new version of Anarchy in the character of Sam Young. So what do you think of Lonnie Macon returning to the Batman universe? Uh, from what I get here, I kind of, I kind of, I kind of like it. Um, I've always liked his character, Shocker. Us '90s lovers of comics that like anarchy. Um, and he seems like we don't get a ton of him here, but but what he seems to be here is, I mean, it's, it's obviously going to be updated, blah 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 blah. But it seems to be he's not he's not straight villain. He's not straight good. He he is very much the character of anarchy. I remember. I'm I'm totally down to have him in, uh, especially with you know Tim coming back soon. Anarchy was a really big part of his solo universe. Um, so I'm glad that we're kind of getting this version of the character, you know, back into continuity. Yeah, I agree. I think, well, I, I think he was done respectfully to, to really hearken back to the character, how he was pre flashpoint. And I enjoyed him. I thought he was really well written and I felt like I enjoyed him more than the previous one that we had read. Yeah, I would definitely agree with the fact that the previous one in the character of Sam Young not the greatest. It, it really just felt like they were trying to bring back the anarchy character without actually being the '90s version because they're because the New Fifty Two in general was so hell bent on making all of the stuff that happened in the past either retconned or tried to figure out some way of redoing characters that already exist. That happened more times than I could have possibly wanted it to. But um, the return of Lonnie, um, you know, honestly, some of the best incarnations of Lonnie were actually as a money spider, which was an agent of red Robin before the new 52. Um, Those were really cool moments, but the character has always had some place in the Batman universe that has been unique. Um, I think, I mean, he even had his own mini series for a short time. I think it was like either three or five issues um, in the mid nineties. But the thing is, it's an interesting character. It's relevant. It's even the character, honestly, is even more relevant in today's day, day and age than maybe was in the nineties because of all of the stuff that's happening with the protesting that's consistently happening in today's world. Um, It might even work even more timely than back in the nineties. But then again, I don't remember a whole lot of the political atmosphere of the nineties. Like I am experiencing now. So um, that aside, the other thing I want to talk about is uh, the, the situation with Clayface. Now we know from the solicitations that after Tim Drake returns in a lonely place of living this, that story arc that uh, there's going to be a story featuring Clayface. Um, so clearly they're, they're aiming for something. Now, do you feel like now I've, I've mentioned this before when we, when we review some of these stories, how the first couple story arcs, you know, the first story arc, Tim left the second story arc, uh, Steph left. Then we thought that they could have been heading down a direction where we could have potentially seen, uh, Cassandra being taken away from the team, but she actually stayed on the team. The next story arc was Azrael. He's not really on the team right now because he's healing. We don't know if he's going to continually continue to be on the team after the entire situation that just happened in the last story arc. But the thing that I'm wondering is this Clayface story that's going to pop up. Is this the way we get Clayface to basically turn back to his you know, villain roots and get away from being a part of this team. I mean, like it, I will, I will say this. I never really understood why Clayface was on the team to begin with. Um, you know, they made it seem like it was more of like a pet project that Batman 
was trying to help somebody rehabilitate uh, a villain, but Clayface of all people, I don't know. I, I don't personally understand why that would be the villain to choose from other than just the abilities of Clayface are useful for story elements. Um, but the idea that Clayface could go back to his villain roots, do you think that's the right way to go? Or do you feel like it's too soon and maybe if they were going to do this, they, should, they shouldn't do that, go that route? Well, he was one of the original members of the rebooted Detective Comics team. Um, if Tim's coming back and spoilers coming back, hopefully that'd be nice. Then someone's got to go. Um, Clayface has been interesting in the book. He hasn't been, you know, amazing. Um, I do like how there's been at least a little bit of a scientific mumbo jumbo in the background as far as, well, the more you stay in the state, the more your morality center is blah, blah, blah. I mean, like, that's nice to have a little bit of science in the background. So at least they're giving us some plausible reason why he's so heroic now. Uh, but the reality is the book can't support too many characters running around. So if Steph and Tim are coming back, someone's got to go. I mean, obviously, Azrael should be the one that goes. But um, I think it's very possible that, that Clayface might be losing his um, time on the team. I'm hoping not. I think that maybe he'll go through some sort of struggle because this is not the first time that we've seen it, which is good storytelling that it's not just all of a sudden happening, but it's been building up and we've seen this, especially with the, uh, that villain with the no name, the victim, the victim syndicate, uh, that the mud lady was, you know, cause he harmed her. I think there was a you know, regret and everything. And, um, He's always talked about, I remember in the monster crossover, he was talking about there are too many forms that he was making and he was very worried about it. So it's always been there, but I'm hoping that he'll move past, like there'll be some sort of struggle, but then he will, he'll stick with it. I agree that at the beginning, I thought it was a little strange that he was on the team, but I think that it, well, I think it works. It's not my favorite dynamic, but I think that it works. That I don't think they should just push him off. It reminds me of Poison Ivy on Birds of Prey. You know, sometimes it works, sometimes it didn't. And I also like the dynamics that have been developing between Cassandra and Clayface because he's been helping her read and speak better. Uh, I guess more speak than read because I think she's listening, but that would be really sad to lose that. So I think just because somebody's coming back doesn't necessarily mean that you need to kick somebody off. And so I'm hoping that that doesn't happen. I will say this. I think that if the idea is that Tim and Steph are coming back to the team, then you've got to thin out the, t- you got to thin the team out. Clayface, while he is up, as one of the characters that I would probably vote to have, you know, get kicked off the team over, let's say Cassandra, obviously Kate Kane at the same time, I don't particularly want the character that, that to happen, the character only for the fact that I don't like the idea of having a character on a team just to present some sort of conflict later on down the road. Um, that's one of the things I didn't like about poison Ivy um, and in birds of prey, like Stella just mentioned is because eventually she became, you know, a, a foe for the team after being part of the team to basically spend a year or a little over a year building the character up and saying, this is a great character. This is part of the team. Yes. There's some internal conflict amongst the team members, but they've worked through it and they've become a great team only to have then the team member betray the team. And then it, it, it's overdone. And I don't want to see that happen. So in for that reason, I don't want Clayface to get kicked off the team, but at the same time, 
if he, you know, if somebody's got to go, I'd rather see him go than, you know, Tim, Steph, Cassandra, Kate, obviously Batman. I wouldn't care if Luke Fox went at this point because he doesn't really do a whole lot of things. Although if Tim comes back, I don't know that Luke Fox has a reason to be on the team anymore. So I'll leave it at that. The real last comment that I wanted to make was uh, there was an interview that was that uh, when Stella talked to James Tynion uh, at San Diego Comic-Con, he mentioned this thing about a potential – I don't know that he phrased it exactly this, but it can be interpreted this way. He talked about how Tim is the good high school boyfriend and Lonnie is the bad college boyfriend of – you know, and Steph is getting like two different sides and she has a way of like kind of comparing. I think some people online have – interpreted that as there's a potential for a love triangle down the line. And I have to say, I, I don't see that. I don't see any sort of gravitation towards Steph going towards Lonnie as, you know, to fill the void that Tim is doing at least romantically, like as a, as a uh, ally in their fight against whatever they're fighting against. Sure. That works, but I don't look at it as a love triangle. And I don't know if either one of you, we're looking at it that it that way or what your thoughts on or that are, but I don't see Steph, at least based off of this single issue, I don't see any sort of romantic interest. I don't see it based off this single issue. I mean, Tim is dead, so I could see them, you know, flirting with the idea of her having this love triangle with Lonnie. And then the second Tim comes back, she dropped Lonnie for Tim in a second. So I don't think that's even debatable it'd be a short-term thing if they did it i i think there was some shipping going on but i also think that why well, don't i don't enjoy the shipping it reminds me of dick nope tim drake and cassie sandsmark after superboy was killed in infinite crisis and it's sort of you know like mutual mutual tragedy or mutual need and all that stuff. I think if anything were to happen, she'd really hate herself for it and there'd be some regret, but they're clearly, I mean, it, it was an intimate scene. You have to admit that the removal of the masks oh, yeah, uh, and in particular, sure. and in particular his, because, you know, he had to let down that guard and everything, his guard. Uh, so there was something going on there. I don't know how much we're going to push that, but there's something clearly there. I think, you know, that whole scene was really well written with his belief system and everything. And I think whether she's being roped along like a dope or <laughs> he really is true to his word, we're, we're seeing this guy who I think has the right idea but makes bad decisions along the way. So it depends on, on what's going to happen. So I think there is the potential of shipping. I just don't like it. And I don't, I hope nothing happens because, like I said, if it think, I think if it does happen, uh, all parties involved or at least Stephanie is going to be upset when Tim comes back. All right. So Detective yes. Comics, I'm going to give a total of three and a half out of five. Yeah, I mean, three. it sounds about right. Three and a half out of five. Four out of five. All right. And over on the website, Ian gave it three and a half as well. So that's going to give Detective Comics a total of three and a half out of five. That is all of our in-depth reviews. Let's jump over to the website for Greater Gotham. First up, on August 16th, we had Main TBU Books, Batman number 29, we already talked about. 
Nightwing number 27, after the revelation of the last issue, Nightwing and Huntress must confront and combat a spiral turned bad. This is reviewed by David. He gave it four out of five. Let me give this one a thumbs up. Abstain. Uh, thumbs up. Batwoman number six. In a distant future, Batwoman and Red Hood take it upon themselves to stop the dictatorship established in Gotham by the new Batman. This is by Jessica. She gave it three out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. A thumbs up. I am... Very interesting to see how this interested to see how this plays out. Thumbs up. No secondary TBU books, main DC Universe books, Dark Knights Dark Knights Metal number one, the Justice League find Gotham City destroyed, and the Blackhawks attempt to capture Batman. This was reviewed by Corbin. He gave it four and a half out of five. I'm gonna give this one a thumbs up. Thumbs up. Abstain. Justice League number 27, the Justice League minus Batman, bring the kids from the future to the Watchtower, where the League learns who the kids are and what has happened in the future. This is by Jim. He gave it three out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs down. I want to say neutral, but the reality is it's thumbs down. Abstain. Super Sons number seven, joined by Superboy, the Teen Titans have to face the forgotten villains in order to restore Robin to his natural age. This is by Jessica. She gave it four and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Abstain. Uh, thumbs up. Trinity number 12. The Trinity seeks help from a few supernatural allies to free Red Hood and the outlaws from Cersei's magic. This UI Bill, he gave it two and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Uh, thumbs up. Thumbs up. Secondary DC Universe books. Aquaman number 27. Dick Grayson as Nightwing makes a brief cameo alongside the Titans. DC Comics Bombshells number 33, which includes digital chapters number 98 through 100. The bombshell versions of Harley Quinn, Poison Ivy, Hugo Strange, Reaper, and Catwoman all appear in the issue. Green Arrow number 29, Black Canary appears briefly as Green Arrow heads to Gotham City to deal with the Court of Owls, along with some help from Batman. Injustice 2, number 8, which includes digital chapters number 15 through 16, the Injustice versions of Batman, Damian Wayne, Ath- Athanasia Al Ghul, Talia Al Ghul, Raz Al Ghul, Black Canary, Alfred Pennyworth, Batgirl, and Harley Quinn all appear in the issue. And Teen Titans Go number 23, which includes digital chapters 45 through 46, the Teen Titans Go versions of robin Batcow, riddler red hood penguin batman and killer moth all appear in that issue moving over to august 23rd main tv books we already talked about detective comics number 963 Batgirl number 14 lured into a potential trap by a mysteriously familiar pair of girls Batgirl and nightwing must confront events in their past that might have ties to a case that they're working on in the present this was reviewed by a deal gave it three and a half out of five i'm going to give this one a neutral neutral Oh dear me! Let me say that <laughs> it. Uh, I will also give it a neutral, but there's some really weird continuity things going on in here. That uh, if you want me to go into details, you'll have to listen to Backworld Oracle this month. But it's some stuff is messed up. Let's just say that. All right, Batman Beyond number eleven thrown into a murderous <laughs> rage of the apparent death of Goliath. Damien pushes Terry and his suit to the max. After seeing Bruce in danger, Damien resolves his differences with Terry, and the team is able to stop a payload of nuclear missiles from striking Gotham. This is by Bill. He gave it three and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Abstain. Thumbs up. Harley Quinn number 26. Harley's birthday has been ruined, and she's not happy. The story flashes back to how Harley, Catwoman, and Ivy escaped her apartment being attacked by the unconquerable 25. This is by David. He gave it four and a half out of five. and give this one a neutral. Uh, thumbs up. Neutral. Mother Panic number 10. Violet continues her quest for revenge against those who are behind the horrors at Gather House, and she uncovers someone that she believed was long dead. This is by Jerry. He gave it three out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Abstain. 
Uh, neutral. Secondary TBU books, Batman the Shadow, number five. It's a race against time as the mortally wounded Batman and the Shadow try to prevent the stag and the Joker from reaching Shambhala. This is by Paul. He gave it four out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Thumbs up. Abstain. Nightwing, the new order, number one. Dick Grayson enforces a new superpowers regime far in the future. This is by Ian. He gave it two and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Abstain. Neutral. Main DC Universe books, Teen Titans number 11, Jackson learns how to finally harness his power and help the Teen Titans take down his father, Black Manta. This is by Bill. He gave it three out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Neutral. Neutral. Suicide Squad number 24, Batman mounts a rescue of Killer Frost at Bell Reef Prison while Amanda Waller and the Annihilation Brigade put their plan into motion. This is by Paul. He gave it three out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Thumbs down. Oh, dear. Neutral. Secondary DC Universe books, Blue Beetle number 12. Batman appears in the issue as he checks in on Jaime Reyes. Tina Sung, direct descendant from Bruce Wayne from the Justice League 3001 series, also appears. Moving into our last week, we have August 30th, main TBU books. We already talked about All-Star Batman number 13. Red Hood and the Outlaws annual number one. After joining a Russian circus as a traveling act, the Outlaws gain a new member in Nightwing to take on KG Beast. Although a short-lived partnership, Jason and Dick are given a chance to reconnect in a very brotherly way. This was reviewed by Bill. He gave it three out of five. I'm going to give this one a... Go on. Do it. Neutral. Thumbs up. I just don't think it was as good as as it normally is. But there is shipping. It's good, though. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying it's not as good as it normally is. All right. No secondary TVU books. Main DC Universe books. Just Leave America number 13. The JLA continues their split adventure as part of the team delve deeper into the microverse, searching for Ray Palmer. And the other part of the team deal with a mysterious new villain called Afterthought. This is by Matthew. He gave it two out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Thumbs down. Abstain. There were no secondary DC Universe books. And then moving into our TV trades and hardcovers over the past three weeks, we had Batgirl, Stephanie Brown, Volume 1 trade paperback, Batman, Superman, Volume 6, Universe Finest trade paperback, New Teen Titans, Volume 7 trade paperback, Batman Rebirth, Volume 1 Deluxe Edition hardcover, Batman, Volume 3, I Am Bane trade paperback, Batman, Shadow of the Bat, Volume 2 trade paperback, Batman, The Golden Age, Volume 3 trade paperback, and the New Teen Titans, Volume 1 New Edition on the Bis hardcover. So those are all the books. Uh, any of the books that we gave a thumbs up thumbs down or a neutral all of those books have uh, detailed reviews over on the website for you to check out and we have detailed reviews every single week every Monday, every wednesday thursday and friday we have detailed reviews of all of the books that we cover here on the batman universe specifically wednesday you're going to find all the books that are batman specific on thursday you'll find all of the the, the gotham hero books and villains uh, such as harley quinn and nightwing and all the other allies and direct villains of uh of gotham city and then on friday you'll have all the main tbu books which is the other books that feature the Batman characters and other books like Teen Titans and Justice League. So be sure to check that out. Now, before we get into listener Q&As, there was one new editorial that I want to mention that uh, you should check out. Over the, the last three weeks, there was a new editorial called When Did Catwoman Learn Batman's Secret Identity? Obviously, this falls in line a little bit with what's been going on um, in the pages of Batman. So uh, Josh did a detailed look throughout history of when Catwoman did know Bruce Wayne was Batman, and when she didn't, and how it had been retconned multiple times. Um, but it's worth a look. If you haven't checked it out, I implore you to check it out. And while you're listening to this, uh, there is another new set of editorials focusing on anarchy and the character history that anarchy 
of both versions of Anarchy, both the Lonnie Macon version and the Sam Young version from the New 52. So be sure to check those out. Those will both be, one will be out as you're listening to this. The other one will release the following Tuesday. So be sure to check those out. We have other editorials we have uh, down the pipeline as well. So be sure to check the website uh, in the beginning of the week for when you're not finding comic reviews, you'll try, you'll, you'll be finding original content and editorials and that nature. So be sure to check out the website. With that, we're going to jump straight into our listener Q&As. <laughs> Boy, did you get a wrong number. Leave your message at the sound of the shriek. No, please, don't! And we have a number of different comments to go over. So first up, Ian has this to say. I meant to comment on the last episode, but forgot. So I'm including some of my previous thoughts here. Regarding Doomsday Clock, wow, 12 issues is pretty intense. I hope this is the conclusion of Rebirth since it takes us well past the two years of Rebirth. The time jump doesn't make me very confident. I just hope that this isn't another one year later and screw over all of my favorite back characters like Steph, Cass, and Tim. I'm still with you, Stella. Jean-Paul is great, and I'm really glad we got an arc developing him. Yeah, what, what? Regarding Babs' love life, here we go. Burnside didn't have a good balance with the romances. She dated or flirted with... (laughs) Oh, dear. She dated or flirted with nearly every non-villainous male character she wasn't related to by blood. I don't know if I would agree with that because that one Jeremy turned out to be semi-villainous. So... You know, which is probably better than her two romances in the Rebirth run, where she likes villains or villainous characters like Kai, K-A-I, sir, not K-Y, and Ethan. But still, it's more hookup culture than anything else, sadly. Lastly, to talk about something from this episode, you suggest Peter Tomasi taking over Detective after Tanyan's run finishes up, which I hope won't be until issue 1000 at least. While Tomasi is a very skilled writer, I'm very much against him doing anything with the Bat family, as he has very distinct biases against certain members members of the family, particularly Cass, Steph, and Jason. And the way he writes Bruce and Damien's relationship, while touching, is often rather morally troubling. He writes both of them as supremely arrogant and self-centered individuals, and neither of them really provides a different enough voice to change that behavior. Having Tomasi write Detective or any Bat family type title after Tanyan would guarantee that that Steph and Cass would lose their home as he would ignore them, and Bruce would lose the compassion and openness to better ways that Tynion's given him. And I think that would be a terrible loss on all counts. Okay, so let me say this. I think that specifically saying that Tynion would, in fact, do this and ignore certain characters, and Bruce would instantaneously lose compassion and openness, I think that's a little strong of an opinion because I don't know that... I, I feel like Tomasi is one of the type of writers who can adapt to the current uh, the current feel of the books, I, I guess is the only way I can think of to put it at this point. But basically, he can adapt. He's very adaptable. I mean, we've seen him do Nightwing before the New 52. He did Batman and Robin. Uh, we've seen him do books like Batman Arkham. I think it was Batman Arkham Knight is, is the book that he was doing for a while. He's doing one of the Arkham, the digital first Arkham books for a while while, while he wasn't doing a main Batman book. Um, but I think that he is completely adaptable based off of where he's working and the, the, I guess the, you know, overall theme thematic 
emotions that are being presented in the other titles. Um, while I do agree that the relationship between Bruce and Damien has has had its ups and downs, I feel like some of the moments that Bruce has to deal with Damien's death are some of the best moments that Batman ever dealt with. Um, I will say that the five stages of grief uh, story arc that he did was probably not his finer moments. Uh, one of his finer, finer moments when it as far as writing, but it's, but that I think had a lot to do with the fact that Bruce was experiencing different emotions in each issue. And we weren't necessarily agreeing with every single one of the emotions that he was dealing with more so than they were written badly by any means. I think that saying that instantaneously Tomasi is going to ignore certain characters just because he hasn't worked with the characters in the past or hasn't chose to use characters, those, those characters that you're mentioning in the past, I think is a little bit harsh considering Tomasi is writing characters that are currently appearing, you know, a, a book like Batman and Robin and a book like Nightwing back before, before the new 52 were not the main titles that had the main characters and, you know, all the chess pieces on the table is, who who can who can you use and who 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 you can't use? And I think that it's a little bit of a it's a little bit too far of a statement to say that he would just ignore those characters completely. Um, I think that when especially when the new Fifty Two started, we all knew that what was going on was Snyder. Well, I would say all the books kind of started out in their own direction, and then about after year one, we, everybody knew that the direction everything was going was everything that Snyder was doing. Snyder wasn't using Damien. So Damien had to be in the other book. Um, Snyder wasn't using any of the other Bat Family members, so we didn't see a lot of interaction between the members of the Bat Family with other members of the Bat Family. But I don't think you could just peg that on Tomasi. Also, using you, saying using characters like, for example, Steph and Cassandra, who weren't even in the New Fifty Two and were completely ignored, regardless of who was writing the book, I think is a little bit more of a, a, a saying of what the editorial team and the, you know, the company was standing behind certain characters uh, we've heard and, and correct me if I'm wrong, Stella, but didn't, wasn't there comments that were made during some of the interviews that said that, you know, there's all kinds of characters that they want to use um, now, but they have to basically figure out how to bring them back in. It's easier to use a character once they are brought back in. I think the Benson said that. Yeah. And, and it's clear that there's sort of a, hierarchy there because I think some writers have that power and others don't. So the fact that Julian Shauna Benson were saying they couldn't bring people in, but they had to wait for others means that they have less power, it seems, editorially, than other people who can bring that you know, who are higher up and can bring in somebody and then it trickles down. Right. Like somebody like Time King who has been focusing on yeah. Kite Man for some unknown reason. Sure, yeah. I guess anybody <laughs> loves it. But I mean, I, I just want to say, like, I, I have to stand by my thought of I don't want Tynion to leave by any means. But we all know that there's it's very rare for a writer to stand a book for a humongous length of time. I mean, Snyder is probably one of the few exceptions recently outside of Grant Morrison. And even Grant Morrison was still bouncing around between titles, not staying on the same title for an extended amount of time. So the reason I said if Tynion was to leave, I, I wouldn't mind Tomasi is just because I can't see Honestly, when you look at just the landscape of who's out there right now as far as writing comics and who are who's writing Batman comics, I don't see anybody else out in you know in the the mix of who we have right now with Tom King or uh, Snyder or 
really any of the the other people like let's say Tim Seeley with Nightwing or the Bensons with Birds of Prey. I don't see any of those those writers or writing teams coming over to a book like Detective Comics and doing as good of a job or potentially better of a job than what Tiny is doing. If you're looking for that Bat family experience that we're getting right now in Detective Comics and not just a singular Batman story that anybody in the brother could tell. Um, that's why I said Tomasi, because I think that Tomasi has done multiple issues where you can, you can clearly see he has a knack for writing the family element. Um, so that's why, I mean, you, who knows what could happen after Tynan ends up leaving and what direction they decide to go with the book. Maybe they don't want to, maybe they won't stay the bat, you know, with this, this, this team that they currently have, it could turn into something completely different. And I, I, I don't want that to happen because I think that it's working well right now. And I think this book answers a lot of, or it fills the void that a lot of readers and fans have had during the new 52 that, a book like Batman can tell a story singular about Batman and, you know, a couple supporting characters that interchange here and there, but like there's a bunch of characters that also should get focused on. And I think that's being done very well in detective comics. Now, if Tynan was to leave, I'm just, I'll just pose this question back to you, Ian, or anybody else who chimes in and answers next time around. But if you don't think that Tomasi's the, you know, a good writer to replace Tynan, who can you see at this point in time? That at least works, let's just say works for DC Comics. It could be anybody that works for DC Comics that you think that could come in and do a much better job or as good of a job as tying focusing on specifically that that family aspect of it, since you think that Tomasi's not the best option. So I'd like to hear some other potential possibilities of who you think would be would work. And I'm sure there are other characters. I mean, other, other writers out there who could do a good job. The problem is that because I specifically stick to so many Batman specific books, I don't read a lot of the other stuff. Um, so I can't sit here and say that somebody like Benjamin Percy, which I do read teen Titans and green arrow. Um, and I, I can see that he can work multiple characters I'm not saying that somebody like that couldn't come in and do something, but I don't know if they have as the understanding, like Tynan is always going on and on about on Twitter about his love of the Batman comics in the nineties. And you know, he's, that's part of the reason we've seen characters like the general and anarchy and this focus on Tim Drake um, or lack of focus on Tim Drake, which will, he'll be coming back. But like these other characters that have, that were around before while still doing their own take on certain things, like with the victim syndicate. So thoughts on, do you guys have any ideas of who, who could be a good writer that's currently working at for DC comics? Um, I actually think Tomasi is a pretty strong choice in his, I mean, he writes super sons right now and the Damien Batman relationship, but there was pretty good, you know, um, I, I don't know if, if I had to pick someone without thinking about it too closely and wasn't stealing your pick, I would take like Jeff Lemire. Maybe um, I think he's actually writing for Marvel right now, but he wrote, um, wrote some stuff for DC, including like Teen Titans Earth one. Um, yeah. He's uh, also supposed to be coming back to do one of the dark matter books too. And I like Lemire. Uh, he did some good work on green arrow too. I know you're talking about Percy he does good work on green arrow. Um, but he did good work on Green Arrow, and uh, I would like to see Lemire get a crack at it. And again, I don't want to see Tynion leave. He's he's good, um, but this is comics. I mean, Snyder went on 50 issues of Batman, and we felt like that was like a tremendously long run. You know? Um, so yeah, I mean, someone's going to replace him. Uh, I, I think Tomasi would be fine. And just to mirror something you said, 
Tomasi was writing the Batman and Robin book, which was supposed to be about Batman and Robin. You know what I'm saying? Like, it wasn't supposed to be the Bat Family book. So I, I don't think he would have any problem playing with um, different different toys in the sandbox if they were placed there. I'd like to see a female writer take a crack at this particular team, especially since we have Batwoman, Cass, Steph. You know, it's equally weighted female and male. Uh, so why not have a female writer? And... I feel like Marguerite Bennett would be a good pick because she's already doing stuff with Batwoman. She has such a passion for Batwoman. Um, yeah, I mean, it'd be also great to see. I mean, Chuck Dixon is already, uh, you know, around because of what he's doing with Bane. So why not bring, you know, a master back and see how he would deal with some some modern storytelling? But I, yeah, I'd like to see what a, what a female writer would do. I know Shay Fontana right now is on Wonder Woman, and I think perhaps that's more her passion um, since she writes DC superhero girls and that's potentially not as dark as detective is, but I, I would just like to see what it would be like to have uh, a, a woman writing the book. I wouldn't say I'm opposed to that, but I, I have to point this out just because I had to do this research a little bit while, a little while ago. Did you know that detective comics nor Batman has ever had an ongoing female writer ever? Really? I think I probably was aware of that. And now that, you know, we're in 2017, each year that, you know, you could bring this up to us like every year and it's going to get even worse and worse. The words that you're saying. I know. Yeah. The longer, the longer it ages, the worse it gets. Right. I I think, I think part of the problem is that for such a long period of time, comics in general was a boys club. I mean, that's just how it was. And I think that there are writers and artists that are, you know, there's a lot more artists, I think, that, than writers, at least the ones that you hear about. I think there's a lot more women who are on the artist side of things. I, I remember back in whatever that was, 2012, I remember when Becky Cloonan was on Batman, there was this big deal because she was the first female artist that ever did a book or that ever did Batman or Detective Comics. And I was like, what? And I I, I couldn't believe that after... 75 years or close to 75 years, there had never been a woman who had been one of the main creative elements on a book. And I thought that was crazy. And I, and I, and I did this because there was just recently uh, the, the upco- one of the upcoming story arcs in Batman uh, by Tom King, the artist is going to be Joelle Jones. And she is basically the second female creator who has ever been on the title, which is crazy. It's 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 really crazy when you think about it. Like that is that. kind of strange. I mean, I, I mean, honestly, like it doesn't surprise me because of what you said. But I don't know. You just would think that they'd have hired someone by now. And I'm sure there's people out there who are you know who would love to take a stab at it. It's just the problem is the hierarchy of everything. It feels like no matter if you're a writer or an artist, you can't just walk in unless your name is Scott Snyder somehow. Well, even so, I mean, he he did American Vampire, which did very well for Vertigo on Vertigo on a vertigo scale. So I think, and at the time detective comics wasn't nearly as big of a book as it is now to say that, you know, they couldn't take a risk on an up and comer. But I think that outside of Scott Snyder, I think that it, there's very few creators who come along and are thrust onto a main series like Batman or detective comic where they, they have to basically work their way up. I mean, Margot Bennett is a good example because she's one of the few 
female writers who have actually been part of the Batman comics for a while. She did the Joker's daughter one shot. She worked on Talon for the last couple story arcs. Um, she's, she's clearly been on, or she's been on DC comics bombshells. That was her entire series. She did the entire series there. Um, but the thing is now she's on Batwoman. She's probably one of the few female creators outside of like the Bensons or Gail Simone, who has been, you know, Gail Simone's probably, she's she's been working, obviously, a lot longer than any of the females, other females I just mentioned. But they are female creators that have probably more of a shot just because they've been working on it. But it just feels like, in general, even if you're an artist, you have to be, you have to be on a book that's selling extremely well to even get noticed, Um you know, to, to basically say, yes, your art deserves to be, or you have to have a creator who just really, really likes you because I can, I can say this with confidence. Greg Capullo's art is not something that is my cup of tea, but when you team him with Scott Snyder, Scott Snyder enjoys working with Greg Capullo. He writes his stories to work with Greg Capullo's art. And then you end up with something crazy that just works well and then sells really well too. So it's kind of like a interesting situation, but I mean, like I agree. I hope that, you know, five years from now, if we're talking about this, we're not sitting here talking about, Oh yes, we're coming up to the third creator, uh, third female creator ever on one of these books. Well, I think you got to look at there. They got some talent coming up too, though. So hopefully we can get someone on the book. All right. So our next comment comes from Zach. What are your feelings regarding Mikhail Janine's work during Tom King's current tenure? One of the defining characteristics of Janine's panel work has been the splash page and its compositing and its compositing of sequential movement across a single physical space without applying panel divisions. Perhaps the most memorable example of this was during the I Am Suicide storyline, where Batman scaled the Santa Prisca prison, where Janine expertly played with scale and depth to create a layout which conveyed a greater visceral illusion of movement. Needless to say, I'm curious to hear each of your thoughts regarding this technique. How does it contribute to the story telling? And in what ways do you think Janine's aesthetic approach has been augmented in the current The War of Jokes and Riddles storyline? In some respects, I think as the canvas of the story has grown in scale, Janine has compressed the page layouts, crafting more intimate interactions between characters. Note how Janine and Jun Chung render the Deathstroke Deadshot duel. On the subject of comic book illustration, do any of the co-hosts have a preference when it comes to hand pencils or digital rendering? Janine is a digital artist who often applies digital collagen. Collagen. Collagen? Oh, thank you. Whoa. I can't believe it. Dustin was the one who helped me out. Who often applies his digital collagen techniques. That some readers aren't as receptive. Are the pencils of artists like Capullo or Finch still more impressive than the digital work of Janine and Fraser Irving? Do you think making these distinctions between analog and digital illustration is necessary now that some uh, artists work digitally? Uh, now that so many artists work digitally? Okay, so let's let's deal with your first one first. I should have stopped after that, but I, I wasn't I wasn't necessarily seeing that there was a break there. But anyway. Your first comment, mm-hmm. um, what are my feelings on Mikhail Janin's work on Tom King's current run? I think that he has a unique style. I think that I, I mean, I can say that I enjoy it. Um, I definitely believe that there's, 
I mean, it's not the typical style that I tend to gravitate towards, which a lot of people would 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 say is very DC house style with uh, Jim Lee and Andy Kubert and artists like that. But at the same time, Jason Fabic, same, same, but at the same time, I think that he, I enjoy his art and I can appreciate what he's doing, even if it's not exactly the same style as the other artists. But I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that it is digital. And I think the digital element has a lot to do with it. Um, but what are your guys' thoughts on Jenin's work? I like his work. Um, he is creative enough that it, he does put some of these fun elements in there, but not so creative that the art takes away from the story. Um, I think he's good with faces. I particularly like his Joker in uh, war of jokes and riddles. Um, and I do think he'll, he'll do some fun multi-layered elements to the book, which is needed. In it. It's, it's I, I like his art. Yeah. And it's fun how his splash pages sort of play with space and time. So you can obviously see, uh, movements and how the story is progressing forward through one spat- splash page. Um, so, yeah, I do definitely love how he deals with splash pages. I think he- he's perhaps second to, or maybe equal to, is it J.H. Williams? He was the artist. Right? Oh, he was the master. Are you kidding me? Yeah, of, 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 of that. Uh, splash pages, I think, are amazing. And some people have a deft hand at it. And, and I think that... Um, Janine is is certainly one of those people, and I've been enjoying his work. I think it complements what Tom King is doing. I think just like Capullo and Snyder get along really well, or uh, Capullo and Jock, I think that King and Janine work really well together. Yeah, and I and I agree um, that they work together well. That di- going back to the you know pencils or digital rendering question, though, um, I think that there are definitely perspectives where the digital rendering can work in favor of the type of work that they're creating. Um, I personally feel like the digital stuff doesn't have as much detail as the, you know, the hand drawn pencil uh, versions of things, but I would say that it's only a matter of time before there's less and less pencil, pencil hand drawn artists out there. And there's much more artists that are going to be popping out that are, you know, using digital methods to actually create their art. So I think that over time, it's only a matter of time before you have to progress and and understand that the digital stuff is going to become more, more prominent in the industry. But I will say that I think that, when done right, I think that either one can can work well. They just need to be paired up with the correct artist um, for a lot of, or I, I'm sorry, the correct writer. Um, I think a lot of times, sometimes the when you see art and it's digitally rendered, some people can't couldn't even actually tell. I can honestly say there's probably some out there that I had no idea was actually digital. But it works when it works with the story, then it makes sense. Um, these crazy super detailed story arcs, these giant crossovers and things like that. For example, dark Knight's metal. That's one of the ones where I honestly can't see there not being a lot of detail. Um, a lot of times with that stuff, if you're expecting it to be crazy, crazy story with a crazy amount of characters and things like that, you kind of almost expect more detail. So I don't know that I would expect digital stuff that uh, on the story like that. I also feel like the hand-drawn stuff is more sought after as far as, you know, DC and, and fans alike. I think that stuff is more sought after. So saying that, I would also assume that you would expect the hand-drawn stuff to make more of an appearance and more of a prominence in the bigger crossovers and the bigger events and things, which seems pretty 
pretty standard when you look at, I mean, just the last couple months with Dark Days of Cassian, The Forge, and now Dark Knight's Metal. Those are huge stories, and you just see the slew of artists that were attached to them, and they were all hand-drawn pencil artists who, I mean, they were also big-name industry names too, but I think that that's just something that's typical, and a lot of that has to do with the DC house style and their their thoughts of what they want to have done. But which ones do you guys prefer? I definitely prefer the hand-drawn pencils, guys like Cap. Um, but, but to be honest, it's, I think the technology has come a long way too. You ever go back and look at some of the older books that were done at the forefront of like the digital artist? They don't even look, you know what I'm saying? They don't look as good as they do now. I think the technology is going to catch up. And I, I imagine the next, I don't know, 10 years or so, it'll be inconsequential if it's hand-drawn or done on tech. I just think that the way we're seeing technology move forward, I think you're going to be able to get all those little subtle expressions that I think you can still currently get out of hand-drawn. Um, I prefer hand-drawn right now personally to say that, but I think the future is, is common. Yeah. I like hand-drawn as well. I think there's just an intimacy there and uh, you can potentially get more details, but there is sort of a, a cleanness to the digital drawing as well. And I think some stories just deal really well uh, atmospherically with digital that maybe they couldn't get there. I'm thinking of Gotham, uh, yeah, Gotham Academy, where I just think the atmosphere and the things going on and sort of a horror tone, horror tone works really well with the digital. And I feel like I hadn't really been getting into digital until Art Germ and seeing all of his covers for, or many of his covers for the Stephanie Brown, uh, Brian Q. Miller run on Batgirl. And so I do enjoy it. Just sometimes I, I like that uh, personal touch of the hand-drawn, pen, hand-drawn pencils. All right. So our next comment comes from Jessica. Guys, your commentary on War of Jokes and Riddles just made me realize that Tom King is making a criticism on war in general right in front of our faces, and I don't think anyone has quite grasped it yet. Yes, Gordon should have talked with Joker and Riddler before, but when he does get to it, he's got his pants down. (laughs) Oh, dear. Yes, Batman feels powerless and often seems to be incompetent when dealing with this war, hence him not really knowing what to do with Deathstroke and Deadshot. Yes, this could all have been avoided if... And if, and if only. Batman believed the Riddler to be dead. He believed the battle won and went chasing the Joker, but the Riddler got back to his feet right behind his back. And yes, a lot of innocent people are dying, and Batman feels like he can't do much about it. Yet he blames himself specifically because of the many ifs. And of course, Bruce is trying to solve it all with diplomacy, giving resources to one of the sides so that one can beat the other. King is a former CIA agent. He very well knows how the powers that be often use the strategy of paying the least of two evils for conflict to stop. And then this very same lesser evil comes back to bite everyone on their butts. King was on the counter-terrorist forces post-9-11, probably went to Afghanistan. Back in the Cold War, the CIA armed the forces resisting the Soviets in the country, a group that later became the Taliban. And you all know how well that ended. And just for the sake of argument, Ian responded to her comment. And before we dive into responding to her, let's just read Ian's response back. I disagree that no one has grasped it. I think most people get the idea that war is horrifying and King's done a great job showing the cost of war in the first few issues by giving each casualty a paragraph describing the lives that were destroyed. 
The problem is that the only people who really could have stopped it without evil action, a.k.a. murder, are the Joker and the Riddler. The existence of Batman may escalate the level of violence, but it doesn't create the evil in the hearts of the Joker and Riddler. That evil would have been there whether Bruce put on the cow or not. I don't really see how it could have been avoided unless you think the problem Batman... The problems Batman has solved could have been solved without Batman. If you do, basically agreeing with the victim syndicate, then you think being Batman is an evil choice, if inadvertently evil. I don't think you can really do that and be a Batman fan. I think if you are a Batman fan, you have to at some level think that his choice is the only possible heroic choice for Bruce Wayne in the face of a world that's fundamentally broken. If Batman is a crazy evil person instead of a hero, why do we have 75 plus years of stories about him? I think there's room for an Elseworlds exploration of an evil Batman like the current Gotham City Garage or Batman White Knight, but I don't think he can really survive as the main interpretation of the character, which is why Frank Miller's all-star Batman and Robin doesn't make sense. Okay, so I will say this. Um, war, yes, is obviously bad. and uh, <laughs> we're, we're anti-war at TBU, just for the record. <laughs> um, war is not good. Um, I ha- I actually served in the military, and I can honestly say that I that th- there are there are just causes for for fighting wars, but I don't think that there's been any just causes for fighting wars for seventy five years um, or more. Um, so, I, th- I I the biggest thing is when it comes to specifically Batman, I will say this. Yes, the War of Jokers and Riddles might be a criticism on war in general. But if I haven't grasped it yet and we are this far into the story, that's a problem. Um, and that's that's my main problem with what's been going on in War of Jokes, Jokes and Riddles is if there is some sort of like hidden meaning or if this is a criticism of of uh, our criticism on war in general, then the story should be writing a little bit better. I mean, like there are definitely arguments that say, yes, why dumb down your writing if you don't if you don't need to, if you have if you have a purpose for writing the story that you're writing and it's some sort of in-depth look into something else that you have to really psychologically understand in order to comprehend it that's fine i get it i'm not going to tell any writer to dumb down their thing but honestly this story has been going really long and it feels like not a whole lot is happening for something that has been going on for as long as it has i mean we are on we're going on four months now and there is not a whole lot at all that's happened. I mean, sure, there's been some people who died, and there have been some face-offs against villains of a similar sort. But other than that, there is not a whole lot going on in this story. And if, you know, I, I'm looking at for, let's see, I read this comment, and I thought to myself, hmm, let's look at it from the perspective of this month's issue, or this, this episode's issue, where Batman is sitting down with Joker and Riddler, and he's hosting them as Bruce Wayne and he's hosting them to dinner. I thought to myself, if you look at this specific issue, hmm, this actually could fall in line with, this could be a criticism of some of the stuff that happens during wartime. There are plenty of situations where two opposing sides get brought together by a neutral party that, you know, try to convince them that, you know, they need to end their crazy war of whatever sort. There's civil wars that happen all the time that, you know, the UN tries to step in and, and try to, play the role of Bruce Wayne in this situation, but none of those situations really ha- end up having a great effect. And the thing is like, nothing really seems to come to happen out of this other than Bruce, just basically realizing that someone has to go down and he has to back one or the other. And you, 
I can see the comparison of this is a criticism of war because ultimately Batman has to back one or the other in this specific issue. By the time you're listening to this episode, there'll be another issue that has released as well. But the thing is, like, in in most cases, you as a neutral party, most of the time you do have to pick a side. That's that's just how it ends up being. You can you can try to play down, you know, completely neutral, but one way or the other, somehow you're going to realize that one side might be better or worse than the other side, and then you might have to, you know, even if you're not directly falling in line with them, you're going to sway one way or the other. That's just how. It all always ends up working, in my opinion. Um, but I will say that, long story short, this just feels like a very, very long, long, drawn-out thing, which is going to be wrapped up very shortly here. And it doesn't feel like we're getting a, we're going to be getting a wrap-up that's going to feel really sufficient, other than just something horrible happens, Batman backs somebody, and then that somebody kills somebody, and then that's why Batman feels so bad. And then Catwoman is like, "Oh, don't worry, it's not so bad." It's not as it's not it's not your fault. You, you basically spent four months telling me this story so that I can tell you it's not really your fault, because that's what I feel like we're going to get to. So, I mean, like regardless of whether or not this is some, some psychological dive into how bad war is, it doesn't feel like it's getting across that point or any other point, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Jessica's points are interesting, um, and I think she's probably right. I think this is probably a commentary on war. I think that makes sense. I just don't know if it's a, if, if it's a very interesting commentary on war. It's it's just kind of it's kind of dragging on a little bit. That's all. But yeah, no, I, I I do think that she makes some really good points here. That and King's background, the background of every writer, has to be taken into account when they're writing something. So um, good on you for spotting that, which I didn't, but I do have to co-sign on some of uh, Dustin's comments about what's it all mean, Basil? Yeah. What's it all mean? Yeah, I re- I don't think I have anything. Uh, worthwhile to add um yeah not on the spot i'd have to i'd have to consider especially ian miller's uh because i i agree with ian what he's saying is you know if i understand it correctly just that you know even though bruce is trying to intervene or batman's trying to intervene it's only going to cause more difficulties uh, in the long run, um, unfortunately, and that really the only two people that could stop it are the two main players in the game. Um, but yeah, I you know I think we're getting to the point. You know, this is going back two hours to when we started this podcast. But given this weird situation that we're in um, in the U.S. in particular, and I know that we have listeners that are in other countries, it seems that more and more comics that we're reading are making commentaries on the situations that are going down. And so I, I think this is just uh, the latest potentially. But, you know, why not have Tom King's actual past inform him uh, as a writer and what he was doing? He did that for Grayson, so why not do it in a different way here as well? All right, so... That is all of our comments for this episode. I encourage you to head over to the website and leave your comments for the next episode. Any questions that you may have or comments or anything that you'd like us to talk about next episode, I encourage you to go leave those comments over on the website. You encourage them? Yes, I encourage them to go. Aren't you missing something here? I'm trying to not. (laughs) I implore you. I implore you. That's the word we're looking to encourage. Who encourages people? Oh, man. We implore them. I'm trying to refrain from saying implore since I get so much crap for saying the word implore. Anyway, 
I guess my co-host demanded, so I must say it. I implore you to go to the website <laughs> and leave your comments on oh, the episode man. post so that we can talk about those comments on the next episode. In addition to that, head over to the website for all the latest news related to movies, TV, merchandise, video games, and, of course, the comics. Also, be sure to check out all of the other podcasts that we have to offer. As you know, there are new episodes that are posting all of the time. As you're listening to this, there's uh, two new episodes that posted in the last couple of weeks for Bat Books for Beginners, one covering Batman Year One, Batman Ra's al Ghul, and the second one covering uh, Robin Time to Kill. Uh, next week, you will be able to listen to the next episode, which will focus on Batgirl kicking assassins. So check out that next week. Um, but there are new episodes of Batgirl Oracle, Robin Everyone Loves the Drake, Bat Fans. Uh, so be sure to check those out over on the site. In addition to that, if you have any desire to support us monetarily, you can either do it through PayPal using the donate button on the website, or you can become a patron over on Patreon and support us. And there are different reward tiers that you can help us out and gain rewards in turn for your support. Wow. Those are always greatly appreciated no matter what. Also, of course, if you do not have the funds to donate, even a dollar a month, if you cannot give us any funds, we would appreciate if you could give us support with volunteering your time. We are always looking for comic writer or comic book reviewers, writers, reviewers for other bat projects, um, news writers, uh, editorial writers, things like that. Uh, We're also looking for graphic designers video editors, audio editors, web developers, any of those things, if you have any of those skills and you'd like to share it with the Bat fans and the community, please get a hold of us at tbu at thebatmanuniverse.net. Leave us reviews in iTunes. Those are always greatly appreciated, as well as, as I mentioned, leave your comments on the episode for the next episode. Uh, all right, so that is everything for this episode. This is Dustin. This is Ed, and I'm really old. And this is Paprika. And you have been listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. We'll see you guys in two weeks.